Hi, welcome back to Across the Floors. This week's dance chat is with Rachel. She's one of the kindest people I know and one of the biggest proponents for the art of tap dance. In this episode, we're talking about the evolution of teaching competitive dance for over a decade and how that impacts the artistic side of dance. We talk a lot about the intersection of disability and dance as well, diving deep into what that means to actually be inclusive and the lasting impression it can create for anyone involved. And don't miss Rachel's excellent brief history of tap dance and her insight into where the genre may be headed in the future. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Across the Floors. On this week's episode, um, we have another dance chat. And with me today is Rachel. And Rachel and I have known each other a very long time. Um, We danced together as little kiddos. Um, She's a little bit older than me, but not by much. So we were in a lot of groups together. And then she was my tap teacher at one point. Um, We kind of co-choreographed things at one point. Um, And we've just kept in touch as one does over Facebook and social media. Um, But I wanted Rachel to come on today and she had reached out to me. She's got some really interesting stuff to talk about, something we haven't touched on yet on the podcast. So I'm going to hand it over to Rachel. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm um, Rachel. I have uh, three kids. They're ages seven, nine, and 13. And my husband's in the Army Reserves. Currently, he was active duty for a while. So we're a military family. and We've moved around a lot. So we're currently living in Texas. But yeah, like Lindsay said, I grew up in Wisconsin. I lived in the same house for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I danced with Lindsay for a long time. I think our my sister was about your age, right? Yeah, yeah, she was then, in a lot of the dances yeah, I was in growing up. Yeah. And then we got, um, as we got older, we got kind of meshed together and we all got to dance together, which was awesome. Um, and so then, at yeah, at 18, I went to college and I, I was on a college dance team and met my husband. And we were back in Wisconsin for a little while while um, he went to school. And then, um, yeah, we moved to Texas. I've been here ever since. But I've continued teaching. I started um, teaching tap in about 2007, I think, really, really just teaching tap. And I've been doing that kind of ever since at a variety of studios, kind of wherever we've, we've lived these yeah. last few years. Yeah. So I, I think I want to start off. I know, I think you might be the first one I've had on that's had kind of an extensive, um, like dance team background. So we'll just kind of jump in with that a little bit. What was kind of your experience between, because you had such a strong, I mean, we did so much studio and competition dance and you were always part of that competition. So what was your experience kind of transitioning or doing both of those like in comparison? Was it really the same or did you have a whole different experience when you went into like more of the dance team versus studio dancing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I really wanted to join dance team in high school. I was at the point as a teenager where I just felt like I needed friends at school. And um, similar to what you had talked about, I think it was a couple episodes ago, like it was the atmosphere that we were, we were training in when we were younger was dance is everything. Mm-hmm. And if it's not everything, then you just don't talk about it or you don't do it. You don't do other stuff. Um, yep. And so uh, when high school came, I really just wanted to be able to, make friends at school and be um, part of something with with other with people all day long and not just have that studio life. I felt pretty disconnected from my peers, I think, at that point. I was and I'm very introverted as a person anyway. And so yeah. that made it even more like that. Right. Um, 
And so in high school, I really enjoyed dance team. There was, um, it wasn't a lot of pressure at our school. It's nothing like it is here in Texas, in Wisconsin, I know. right here. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, it's nuts. Um, but, but, and then I, I just had this aspiration that I wanted to be on a college dance team. And mm-hmm. so um, when I found out that there was actually a school that had a scholarship, I was like, I'm gonna do that. And, and my parents were like, okay. And that's before the internet, it's before cell yeah. phones really. Like, well, the internet was around, but you didn't browse colleges by the internet. You went to the right. career fairs and you got all the pamphlets and stuff. And so that was how I had information. But um, my, my college dance team experience was very different. It was, um, it was very much a, uh, a, a full-time job. And it was very stressful and structured and rigid and cutthroat. Um, and it almost made me hate dance for a while. So oh. after doing that a couple of years, I actually transitioned into more of a, like a student trainer kind of role. So I could retain my scholarship um, instead, of, instead of dancing and just kind of poured into my degree, which was accounting, which is kind of the farthest thing from dance. Yeah. that you can get <laughs> but uh, but I enjoy you know I enjoyed that like being able to know that I would have a job when I graduated and, yep. and all that um so so yeah I have I have mixed feelings about dance team I think it can be good um for some people and and very enjoyable and lots, lots of relationships that you can make that way but it also is um they want they want to fit you into a box you have to dance like everybody else or you're not gonna be on the competition floor and that's right that's that's my that's always been like my external view of it and I think I mean at the time when I was in high school too like my high school dance team we weren't a small public high school but we were fairly small and the dance team was definitely small and it just like did not appeal to me and just the style it just like I was already forced to be in such a box when you were like in the studio. So like just seeing how the same and it makes for a very cool visual, right? When you see 20 women like doing the exact same shape and they are able to like make those kind of visuals, it's very cool. But like to the pressure to be on that, I just, I don't think I could have lived up to it. So that was always my external view. And I'm like, I'm always so curious because there's somebody else that we used to teach with, um, that she was always on a dance team and she ended up doing it in college too. And I'm like, just such a different dynamic that you get. Um, it definitely and a different is. approach. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And it, yeah, I, I don't, I can't say that I would choose that same path again, but you know, you, you live and you learn and you, and you, and you find out things about yourself in during that college period, a lot like you've been talking about, um, yeah. not just about um, who you are as a person, but about what you, what you care about. And, um, and, and artistry, you know, it mattered to me. Artistry mattered. It matters, like it matters to you. And all of us that mm-hmm. kind of grew up this way. And um, yeah. and there was no, there's no artistry in dance team. It's very, like <laughs> no. you're saying, it's very visual. Yeah. It's, yeah. Which has its place. So I like, I'm, I'm careful not to discount that, right? Because I don't think it's all bad. And there's nothing inherently bad about a lot of these things that are, it's, I'm, it's wonderful that we have all these different dances and avenues and ways for people to get involved with dance. But I agree. I think we just with who we had as a teacher growing up with um, working in Debbie's studio and everything, like there's just such a push for like, show me the beautiful part of this art. Like that's what I want to see. I want to see a story being told. Um, 
And I know you and I have kind of talked about that a little bit. So I want to go now because you've been teaching for so long and such. There's so much that's changed in this time. And you've been teaching throughout. How has that transition been over time? Like, have you felt these like big shifts as you've been going along? Or has it been like, all of a sudden you look back, and you're like, whoa, it's all different. Um, how's that been for you for, to teach this long? Uh, it definitely has changed a lot. Um, studio atmosphere, it just keeps getting more and more competitive, in my opinion. And we have mm-hmm. less and less space for people that are that are maybe different or that enjoy um, enjoy some of the forms of dance that aren't um, on TV all the time and in the public eye. Mm-hmm. TAP is one of those. Like we have some, yeah. I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to, to teach some amazing, fantastic tap dancers over the year and they rarely get recognition as they get older. When they're little, they could get some, but like as they get older, it, it, it's very discouraging. Um, there, there's so much we could go into about flooring and not miking the floors <laughs> and, and like yeah. a judges not having any idea what they're watching how to compare it and all that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, the, the studios are very competitive. Um, and the culture is like a cutthroat more culture. Everybody needs to be good at eight years old. And if you're not good at eight years old, then you might as well not even do it. It's kind of what I'm seeing. Um, the pandemic was really interesting on the whole <laughs> teaching <bet>. world. <laughs> yeah. And the competition circuits were like we're finally getting back into normal competition routine now. And it's only been, it's already been two years, right? But you yeah. missed a whole year of really in-person competing. And then we did all these competitions where um, your studio would just go in by yourself and do your, do your routines. And then you'd find oh, the results out later. Yeah. And so you never knew like how, what other people were doing, which is kind of what's fun about going to competition too, is yeah. to see what other yeah, the studios. Exposure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sat in the audience like a month ago and watched the teen groups and I hadn't watched teen groups in like two years. And I was like, wow, I really need to be someplace like else. I need to be going someplace else with my teens because this they're, this is amazing. Like what I'm seeing, yeah. this is way more than I even expected. But I think that goes back to um, just the, the it's getting it's yeah, it's getting very, like, very, very ultra competitive and everybody's yeah. got to win. Right. And we've talked a little bit about that too. (laughs) The culture has gotten crazy with awards. Um, Everybody's got to have a trophy. Um, But the kids, the funny thing is they still know that they lost. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many awards you put over platinum, like to (laughs) try to make everybody feel better that they got this score. Like they still understand at the end of the day, if they didn't come home with first overall, but. Right. It doesn't matter if you call it Ruby, Ruby, triple, double, (laughs) Yeah. diamond platinum like so ridiculous. <laughs> I still know I got bronze thanks <laughs> yes yeah exactly they didn't like it right like we right. still get that yeah I, I honestly wish that that the judges would just tell me that kind of stuff like I don't right. like that would be really yeah. refreshing <laughs> I actually I, when I taught yeah when I taught when I had you know sometimes that can come off so harsh but as the choreographer like that's what I want to hear like yeah. I didn't relate to that. Nope, that didn't do it for me. And you're like, okay, well, okay, am I missing the mark or did you just not get tap or did you just not get hip hop? Like, is it just the style you're just not into or 
am I completely missing the mark as your choreographer here? So I appreciate, I agree. I appreciate that too. Sometimes it sucks to hear a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have to develop a little <laughs> bit of a thick skin if you're going to take that risk. Right. But, yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, I would rather them just tell me, yeah. I don't know. That's not, that's again, not the culture though either. Um, yeah. So it's, it, yeah, culture, you know, everything is, everything has changed over the last decade. And I, I see it just continuing down that road. Um, everybody wants to be a star on YouTube or social media or dance moms or whatever other shows on, they want to be that, that kid that makes it. And so they're striving, but there's still gotta be a place for the dancer that, that wants to be more recreational. Um, and, and if there's not, then we're, we're missing something from our studios. We're, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I think that was, I mean, we both started in such a big studio that there was such a large community that was doing it very recreationally. Um, And then you did so much stuff in the competition space, but we still did, you know, the recreational type dances. But even at the small studios, you and I had talked about this too. Like when we were at a smaller studio, the, the recreational dances that didn't compete were actually the more epic dances (laughs) for us. Like those were, I mean, so anyone who has ever seen me dance knows the perform like our ballet five class was rarely a ballet dance. It was like an epic, like, what can we create on the stage? We had so many props. Like we did a remake of like Pirates of the Caribbean and like just like full sword fights involved everything. Like, so it was always like a big production for that. So I think having that background was, um, I mean, we could talk for hours about how amazing that having that ingrained in us was because it just it really did keep that artistry alive because every other thing, as much fun as it might have been to do a really fun tap number, a really fun jazz number um, that like we would perform at competitions. Those dances weren't like not fun to perform, but like. I mean, we, the ones we talk about, the ones that I always let like jump out are like all the character ones I got to play. Like yep. every time people from Debbie's studio talk, they're like, oh, MC Hammer, right? And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like everyone remembers when I did an MC Hammer dance. Like that one's forever going to be remembered. But um, do your stu- does the studio you teach at now, is it really, is that really where the focus is? Is more like where do they compete or how do they like create this performance? Not necessarily the have they kind of dropped off that artistry or, and if they did, like, how do you keep it alive for yourself then as the, as a teacher? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, this particular studio I'm at now doesn't have the ballet back, um, the ballet, um, teacher that we had, um, they've had several teachers. It's hard to keep one in the area. Honestly, it's very competitive. Um, and so, so our kids haven't gotten that, that great ballet over the years. Um, but I, I try really hard to give every dance I do um, a story or at least a theme, even even the littles. I guess I, I want them to experience something different every year. Um, mm-hmm. One year we did like an acapella routine with boomwhackers, which are these like big percussion okay. instruments. And so the, the kids actually like played pieces of Beethoven um, while they oh. tap danced. So that was a super fun one that's memorable. I did one that was like about um, um, silent movies. And so it was like mm-hmm. silent movie themed, um, very cool, like 1920s instrumental um, 
very frantic, told a story with storyboards since it was silent movie theme. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, so I, I just, I've always taken that with me to try to give the kids what we had growing up, at least in, in tap, where yeah. we're mostly I choreograph now. I did a little bit in other areas, but like, it's just always been in tap dance. And so I've always just tried to go there with my limited time yeah. <laughs> um, and energy. And, and, and I want kids to enjoy tap. And I feel like rhythm and timing and, and musicality is important for all genres, even if you aren't going to be a Absolutely. tap dancer, like you're going to gain um, musicality from, from having to perform tap and, um, and just, just enjoying music and different types of music. So yeah, I think Debbie and um, did a really good job of doing that for us too, like giving us different kinds of music to do mm-hmm. like these theatrical ballet pieces too, right? Like they weren't right. always just something out of a, yeah, it wasn't some classical yeah, mm-hmm. piece. Yeah. And when it was, it meant something, right? I think I only did one that was like Claire de Lune. And that was very epic in its own way because it stood out from all the other experiences I ever had in uh, right. major, in like our big ballet class. So, yeah, yeah I'm, yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, I think mine was Pachelbel. <laughs> like, oh, yes. So oh, that's really cool. I still love, like, mm-hmm. that's one of those that's just like, oh, that takes me back. That's a good one. Yeah, right. It just it's one of those two that like because they're such classical, like beautiful classical music, like you do hear it a lot, like inserted into stuff. But when I hear those, I don't think of like the classical musician. I think of a dance. Like there's a running yeah. joke that I always tell my husband when I hear songs. I'm like, Oh, I know someone who did a dance to that. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like nearly every song ever. Every but, song. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'll say, like, if he knows someone, I was like, you also know someone who did a dance to that. Like, it wasn't me, but it was someone else, you know, like, so there's a running joke that we have. It's it's wonderful, though, too, because I said it just it actually does show me like, wow, I did hear all that different kind of music growing up. It went from disco to like classical music to funk music, you know, like there was such a range um, and it really didn't matter what the style was. That was, I think, such a cool thing. Um, to grow up in that kind of space. Um, I don't think I, I think I definitely took it for granted when you're nine and 10 years old, you don't realize how, you how do. much exposure you were getting to that, all that different stuff at that time. But yeah, we um, had amazing training for sure. Yeah. Which is wild to me that like, you're expected to be so perfect at such a young age now. Cause I think of myself at eight and I was like, I think I just yeah. had my first competition that you're like, yeah. how could I have possibly been that good? Like, there's mm-hmm. just no way. And like, I, a lot of that time, like I was only dancing up until that point. And I still was like, I was okay. I was okay enough to be on the competition team, but like, I couldn't do the middle splits ever. Like, <laughs> you know, right. I, like I would never yeah. make it now if I were the same. Uh-huh. Kind of I, I say that all the time. <laughs> there's no way. Mm-hmm. So we all lucked out with the timing, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so true, though. I, I don't um, I'm, I'm just amazed sometimes at what what kids are able to do now. But then I'm also like enjoyed that um, that experience that we had to really enjoy dance when we were little and not yeah. and not be pushed to do a solo when you're six years old, which is also really what happens. Like the, that's a whole other conversation about how there's barely any group dances at competition anymore. But there's like, oh, a thousand solos so wow yeah that would be a major shift that happened Mm -hmm. that's crazy because 
I mean, no offense to all the kids doing solos out there, but that's really boring to watch. Absolutely. (laughs) That is painful to watch at a competition, especially like, and competitions are already very long. Like having now, like when you're, when you're dancing in them, they're not long. Everything goes like lightning speed because you're trying to like get to your next dance and prepare for your next dance and all that. But if you're sitting in an audience at a competition, time goes so slow. And if you're only yeah. watching and then you double up and they always like group it by, well, they used to at least group it by like the type of dance too, like the style. Right. So you watched like 30 lyricals in a row and you're like, uh-huh. I can't listen to one more sans- sad song. <laughs> Give me something else, please. Yes. For a while it was Adele. It was like every oh. Adele track that you could think of was yeah. being played at a competition. Yeah, and now it's contemporary too. So you have mm-hmm. lyrical, modern, contemporary, yeah. and it, it takes like two hours to get through all those. And then, <laughs> and then they'll put the tapper on. And be- yeah, and then one little <laughs> tapper in the middle there, and that's uh-huh. it for tapping. Pretty much. Is there? Did you ever see any uh, ballet solos anymore? Not too much anymore. Um, that's another thing that's really shifted. I think that goes back again to the lack of like really qualified judging, because um, and and how they'll pick it apart so much. Um, I mean, we deal with that in the tap world as well. I'm sure hip hop deals with that a lot. Um, it just if if the judges don't understand how to judge it, and how, then yeah. you can you can do it till you're blue in the face and be so good that mm-hmm. um, but not get anywhere. So I think that most um, most ballet schools are doing their own competitions now, kind of like youth grand prix um, oh. is bigger, and there's more um, cities that are that are um, available to like do those kind of ballet only competitions. Interesting. Interesting. There's some tap ones out there now too that are doing that. Um, Yeah. So we're trying to see. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that develops because. And and I know um, you're a big fan of Gregory Hines, as one would be when you're this into tap. Um, Absolutely. It's it's crazy that that would be like how the evolution of this has gone now, especially when it came to like competition dance, because as I have talked about and many of us have talked about now on this podcast that I've had on like there was such a ballet is the foundation of all dance and you shared like without Gregory Hines we probably wouldn't see a lot of tap if we were studio dancers like what legacy do you see now or this next step for tap do you see it still trying to like fit into the studio life or do you see it trying to like break off again because that's where, you know, it started outside of the studio world. Do you see it kind of evolving back outside of it? Or do you think it's going to keep pushing to stay where it is? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I know there's definitely a push for tap-only studios. And we have one in Dallas. Um, we have traveling tap conventions. We have festivals everywhere now. We have um, youth um, ensembles in a lot of places. And, and that social media and the internet has made it easier to share those things and yeah. to share um, just tap dance in general. And I think that that's probably the coolest part of tap is that um, people within the tap community share with each other. We don't yes. say, hey, I got <laughs> yes. this move and it's my move and nobody else can ever do it. And you better like yeah not do, right it's it's all about just sharing gifts that's why we have tap jams and why um why why i think tap got it had it found its place in the studio is because gregory hines and al gilbert and um and the people of that era, era just 
poured into it and said, hey, this is this is part of our history and yeah. we want to share it with you and we're going to share it with you by um, by what you're already doing. Um, yeah. And so I could I could definitely see more of those kind of tap only studio things popping up in places because um, the qualified instructors and the ability to do um, tap only shows where you can mic the stage or pick venues yeah. that are acoustically um, nice which because I hate watching tap with no sound it drives me absolutely <laughs> right crazy. It's terrible it's like the you gotta hear it and feel it at the same yes. time you're watching it right it's right. it's like almost all your senses are being played with when you're watching tap uh-huh. for sure yeah. yeah and and so all the so when our venues aren't acoustically set up for that then it just it isn't the same and so yeah. being but there's people with that expertise now all over the country um, I think about Greg Russell and how much he poured into me yeah. as a teacher um, those first few years that I started working. Um, and even he he passed away like a year or so ago. But um, yeah. even up until he passed away, he was we were still um, meeting up and um, and I was still taking his conventions as a teacher and just <laughs> learning from him because he always had so much to share. Yes. Um, but he got to learn from those greats. And I wanted to take take all that knowledge and pass that on to my students as well, especially Absolutely. as they got to be more advanced. Um, so we'll see what happens. It should be really interesting. Um, I know there's a lot of studios that don't have any tap anymore. Yeah. that are just solely like um, jazz and contemporary, or they'll have like one or two classes a week, but they never compete it because for, of all the reasons that we've already talked about. Yeah. It's hard. But. Yeah, so we'll see. It should be interesting. Yeah, you said something interesting too about how like Gregory Hines and the, that community, like how they were able to get so involved. Um, and I don't know if you realize how you said this, but like to me, it sounds it sounds like you know they were able to speak that language by using tap. So I want to shift a little bit because I know we have a lot to say about um, using tap more as like the communication tool. And yeah, I want to honor a little bit for anyone who doesn't really understand like tap was not meant like was not started in a studio it was a communicative like very community-based art um form and a way to dance and um so I just want to get your take a little bit because I know you have a lot of different places to go with that um but tell me more about like your how you've experienced tap and how you use it as a communication tool yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so tap dance started um, with African slaves, um, and they they brought their their percussion into those slave fields, um, and they were ta- all their instruments were taken away, their voices were taken away, and so the way they communicated with each other was through rhythm. And I guess that what that tells us is that rhythm is universal. You don't have to be have to speak any words to be able to communicate rhythm to somebody else. And that makes it super powerful, powerful with it to, to bridge cultures, powerful to bridge um, people that are in different um, walks of life that you might not understand or different circumstances. And, um, and yeah, it just, it's, it's just a really, really, really powerful thing. And so it's important for us to remember that, like you said, that tap didn't start in the studio tap was uh, um, has a has a troubled history, right? It takes us back to some places that we don't really want to talk about sometimes, but it's important to talk about. And, and even during the Baldeville years, when when many people appreciated tap, and were watching it in the theaters, 
those performers weren't even allowed to like be in those theaters where they were performing as, as patrons. Yeah. And so it's terrible. Um, And, and that, and that caused it to like, kind of, I I guess say go out of style or just not be as, um, as important for a while. Yeah. It had a less, it has a little bit of like, yeah, it had this like less than feel to it. Right. 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 Mm hmm. But there, yeah, there were ballet studios still going at that time. So, um, so Al Gilbert developed like this CDs. Well, they weren't CDs; they were records at the time. Yeah. Where he would, um, he would tell tap steps on the records, and you know yeah. that's how you would learn tap. And it was like based on the bar, um, so it was easy to take it from a ballet class to a tap class because they were already used to the um, to being at the bar, um, and so they kept. They, that's kind of how it kind of brought, got brought back into the studio. And um, when he lived, he just, it made it, he, he made a big, the biggest impact. He, um, he did movies, he did TV shows again with, um, with the other um, greats. And yes. <laughs> um, he highlighted people like the Nicholas brothers and he yes. um, went on Sesame street. <laughs> yes. and, and just, there's just so much the range. Like, yes. And then Broadway shows. So he brought it back to the um, to the public eye. He made it made it like it was during those MGM years when Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire were yeah. on everybody's um, and everybody's movies theater. And if you couldn't tap dance, you weren't in Hollywood, right? Like it was. Yep. It's crazy <laughs> it's how true. yeah how it's shifted over the years. But yeah, he brought it back, and that's been it's been incredible to see the growth um, and and how it's evolved. And and just being able to share with each with each other, with, I, I I will always be so appreciative of the tap community and how yeah how we don't we don't just we don't kick people <laughs> we, no. we we want everybody to join us yes yeah that was that was big so I've always loved tap and actually I never until I got to Debbie Studio I didn't really get to do as much tap as I wanted to um, mm-hmm. and so. From there, I'm like, yes, I get to do as much as I want now. And I'm in all like the every tap thing I want to do, I got to do. Yeah. So when I went to college and then there was no tap at my school, I'm like, are you kidding me? How is there no tap right. here? So when I found my friend Lindsay and we started that group, like it really it was it was a bringing together of a lot of people um, that either just did tap growing up um, or they're like, oh, thank goodness. We have somewhere to like go jam out for a little bit. I love this right. style, you know, and then it evolved into a whole weekend of bringing every style together because it's it was exactly that kind of attitude it was not necessarily we weren't even like misfits because we did a lot of the other things that were offered all like the classical things that were offered there but it was very much an easy way to bring together a, a broad you know experience for everybody um and so laid back too I mean that's that was what I always loved about tap too is like it's just, yeah. it can be so chill. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like can, and it can evoke a lot of emotions too, with de- depending on how you're, you know, carrying your weight and stuff. So I just, I loved for me, the personal like communication of it is like, you know, being able to like raise the volume of your dancing and stuff, like actually raising it, you know? Yeah. That, you know, how that can communicate an emotion. Like, you don't get that in, I mean, you, you can show it a lot in your face. Right. But like to literally be able to raise your own volume was like, or soften it, you know, that was what a cool way to like express yourself. Um, So from a personal standpoint, how have you found 
tap to be like so useful. I mean, obviously from all like the inspiration point of it, um, definitely. But I know you have um, some very personal aspects of finding communication. and um, Yeah, um, I do. Um, so when my son was two and a half years old, he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And, um, and he's um, on the severe end. He can't communicate very well with words. It, it, language is really difficult for him. Um, he has a lot of other amazing giftings and um, a lot of our experience has been incredible over these last 10 plus years since his diagnosis. And we didn't change it for anything. Like his, right. his life is, is a gift, um, but communication is difficult for him. But, but there's so much joy in, in tap and rhythm and movement in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so allowing him to experience movement has been just amazing. I, I have, have really enjoyed getting to witness that and, and getting to be part of um, a community. I don't really want to say I'm part of the community because I'm not, I'm not disabled and I don't want to like, you know, act like I am. That's yeah. not great either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but just being able to be on the periphery and to see people just joyfully move the way that they were made to move and not care about what anyone else thinks and interpret the music in the way that they want to interpret it and to perform in a way that, that, that makes them happy. It just, yeah. it takes all that competitiveness that we had talked about and, and throws it out the door. And it helps you to reframe where you are in life and what's really important, what matters, what do you care about and what defines you? Do those trophies define you as a dancer or like, are there other things that really are more important that should be the defining factors about who you are? Um, So yeah, getting to experience what, um, what can happen when the community kind of intersects with the dance community has been really, really amazing for me. And what would you say? So I think last time we had kind of talked a little bit about that. There's, there was like kind of a class that he participated in. Um, is that still the way in which he would participate um, at the studio level? Yeah, I mean, at um, we've moved around quite a bit. So a couple of years ago, we lived in a different place, and they actually had a um, a class for kids with with disabilities that couldn't fit into other classes. They were also doing a really good job of integrating kids that could be integrated, which is amazing. And I would, I would tell any dance teacher anywhere, like go above and beyond to include the hard kid in those baby classes because they need it. Um, And, and, and they, they want to, they want to, they want to have typical experiences just like us. And I think pandemic has really highlighted that. We all lived in isolation for a long time. And yeah. quite honestly, that's what people with disabilities live their whole life, <laughs> right? Like, you, you yeah. know, and, and it's, it's terrible because, because they, want it, they want to have those typical experiences too, whether it would right. be in sports or in, or in the arts or in anything. And so if we can, if we can take a step back and, and try to work with kids that are, are maybe a little bit more challenging, that's not only that kid's life better, mm-hmm. but it's going to make your whole class better because yes. it, it's that inclusion factor instead of like this, you know, we have to all be perfect to be in this class kind of atmosphere. Right. right? Um, but yeah, he enjoyed, he enjoyed this class so much. Um, I signed him up just because I was helping with it and I was yeah. like, well, let's see. Right. <laughs> You're coming to the um, dance with me. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's been going to the studio with me though, since he was a baby. 
Like I carried him around oh, to competitions yeah. when he was little. Um, and then even when we moved to Texas, like I didn't have babysitters. This is also another issue. When you have a disabled child, you don't have somebody that can watch your child. And so they, he just came with me everywhere. And so the studio is like his second home anyway. He go, he finds his chair and he like sits and he watches it. And That's so he awesome. was used to doing that, but we um, but we went and we and we did a buddy who was also a male, which was amazing um, yeah. to get that to have that experience too. Yeah. And, and he just learned to move. And they did a um, they did the recital and then they did the Nutcracker. And um, my daughter actually got to be in the Nutcracker with him that year too, which was super special because they got to enjoy that sibling kind of like experience together. Yeah. And, and the funniest part was that he loved getting on the stage. So noises and bright lights and stuff that would have freaked him out like crazy as a little kid. But as he got older, like those things weren't as big of a deal. And he, he found out that he really enjoyed that. He enjoyed the applause. He enjoyed the, the being That's on awesome. the stage part. And, and so the week after the performance, he asked me to go back to the stage. Like he didn't want to go back. <laughs> he wanted to go back on the stage in the costume. Give me the real he, thing. He all forget. <laughs> yes. And just like, like post performance yeah. high where we're just like, get me back out there. <laughs> felt so good. Uh-huh. But it, it's just really cool. Not only for just my son, but for the other kids in that class and the kids that worked with that class. They yes. signed up to volunteer their time for 45 minutes on a Saturday and they, but they gained more than they gave. And I think yep. that's the important message for our studios is that when we, when we include people, we, uh, we are, we're going to get more than imagined and it might be a little bit messy and there's going to be challenges, <laughs> but that's what makes it all worth it. Right. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. That's life. <laughs> yes. Life also is messy. <laughs> Believe yes. it or not. It is not as perfect as your little studio. <laughs> yeah. Not as sanitized, right? Right. <laughs> I think that's um, so important to really, really hit home with is I not necessarily took for granted, but I grew up with a sister that had disabilities um, and I was always her buddy, like going through grade school. She's a couple years, like two and a half years older than me. So we were always at like the same school for all through grade school to high school. And not that I took this for granted, but now as an adult, like it is just so easy for me to like, I have just such a perspective of like what that's like, you know, and mm-hmm. as other people in my life, you know, have somebody that comes into their life that it develops either has a disability or develops one or whatever it is. Um, I don't have to have that learning curve, you know, and it is, it is a big learning curve. And I was lucky enough in my situation that I was born into that. I knew nothing. I've never known not having that. Um, so I never, I never had to know anything different. Um, I only saw the world in this need for inclusion, like, I saw it through my sister's eyes or her inability to go do things with me or her like things she wasn't able to do with me or the ways in which we had to go around something so she could come do something with me yeah. or whatever. You know, I, I say that in such a broad way, but I mean, if you have a disability, or you know, someone with one, you know exactly what I'm saying mm-hmm. when I say that. But I think what I want, what I mean when I am saying all this is if you haven't been around people with disabilities please get involved with them. <laughs> if there's something yes. like this, like a class like this that you could participate in, even if it's not a dance studio, if it's anywhere like in your community, it's so important to to really get there and, and see it from their eyes because it's there is a learning curve. 
um, if you haven't been born into that kind of understanding, but it's so worth it. You, you just have such a different take on what's really going on in this world and what really um, matters. Like you've said, like um, it's, it, it's necessary. And um, I think that's something that will take a lot of people out of this whole very competitive, very like hyper competitive viewpoint of dance. Um, and just remember that we're all just bodies trying to move, right? <laughs> like right. that's really, it, it doesn't matter in which way we're moving, but we're all just trying to move around somewhere on this <laughs> earth. So um, just such a different appreciation. Um, so I just really wanted to hit home with that because it, it it's just as important to, as it is to include those people. It's, you have to be someone that's inclusive, right? You have to be able yeah. to accept that, um, to create the environments that make them feel included, you know? Yes. So. And that's super important. I read, um, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, who was developed special Olympics. She, mm-hmm. Her, uh, her biography came out a few years ago and it changed my life because I always thought of her as the person that just started Special Olympics life away from that, right? Went away, she had all this money, she could have done whatever she wanted. She had people working in her house with that were disabled that she would just meet on the street and be like, hey, you need a job, come wow. here. Like, and wow. dinner every night, her kids talk about, like she just lived, she walked the talk. And, and that's what I want that's what our family wants to be. We want to be a family that um, understands that the table can always get bigger. We don't have to live in this scarcity mentality or this efficiency world. Like we can build the bigger table and, and allow more voice in and more perspectives and, and give more people opportunities that are not usually getting them. And that's going to it will change your life if you can um, meet someone and just to see like how difficult it's for them just on a daily basis to do normal things that we take for granted. Yeah. And if you, if you out there, anyone listening, if you think that you have, or maybe you don't know if somebody in your community is, has that kind of experience um, and you're interested, ask around, ask parents, ask mom groups. I guarantee there is somebody. The the disabilities, while a minority in population, are not actually that small. Like there's there's no. a big there's a big community out there and they range, you know, it ranges from yeah all over the place. So um, you know, ask questions and be really just be curious. Um, I think that's the other thing too, because as you know, with your son, without him able to communicate they have to go to someone like you as his mother to like, okay, well, what kind of stuff does he enjoy or what, you know, Mm -hmm. like have those conversations. I think there's a lack, a little bit of lack of like that bravery from people from the outside of like, I don't want to step on your toes. I don't want to, you know, or there maybe not bravery, but like just timidness, I think, or being too careful. Like if you're curious though, and you are genuinely curious and you're, you're doing it from a place that's very heartfelt, like, that's going to be known. Like moms are quick to pick up on that. So we'll, and they're, you know, and I think that's something that is welcome, right? I would love for people. Mm -hmm. I love when people ask me about my sister, I'll tell you anything you want to know. And she will too, (laughs) whenever she way she can, you know? Right. And you remember those people, right? That, that Mm -hmm. did that growing up that really got into your life and cared and didn't just know. I say I'm sorry and walk away or something. Right. We get we get all sorts of very odd responses, but you also get to celebrate some really 
little things in most people's eyes in big ways. And so yeah. the fact that my son could get up there and dance for the buddy was like huge deal. That's like graduating high school, right? Like right. Yeah. Us. Like the big, big things, first words, first steps, anything like that, um, that happens. That's good. Like we are, we're like having a party <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yes. that's a fun place to live as opposed yes. to always um, being really stressed out about what we're not doing and what, yes. what, what's different about him. Yeah. What a beautiful place to be instead of like thinking of what you might, might have been lacking or what's different, you know, in that way. Um, think about what's different in such a beautiful, like a great way. Right. That's, I yes. love that. It's awesome. For sure. Um, well, I'm going to, we'll wrap up. Thank you so much, Rachel, for being on. I, this was uh, such a lovely conversation. I, I'm so appreciative to you. Um, you have such a great knowledge of the art form you love, which is tap. If we're, if no one's aware yet, <laughs> they definitely should be by now. But um, I just, I'm so glad that you want to be a part of this because I knew that you'd bring such a special uh, perspective to this. Um, so thank you so much for being here tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had fun. It was nice to talk to you and catch up again. And yeah, I know. Uh, reminisce about some stuff. <laughs> I know. I'm catching up with everybody in my life all through a podcast. Right. <laughs> That's amazing, though. That's so cool. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Across the Floors. If you're interested in coming on the podcast for a dance chat, fill out the form in the show notes or send me an email at dance at acrossthefloors.com. That's dance at acrossthefloors.com. It doesn't matter how much dance experience you have. All you need is a desire to talk about dance for a bit with me, of course. I'll see you guys next time. Bye.